I'll see you in my dreams. I got a nice cup of tea with my mold life mug. <laughs> oh, I I have a few of those upstairs. I keep pencils in things in you drink pencil that's weird like i like number twos they're twice as good as ones so how are you doing fella how are things uh all things considered life is good you know it's coming on christmas they're cutting down trees um it's the weather's been all over the place it's uh, psycho weather in colorado Mm -hmm. it's been warm it's been cold it's it's been warm. It's been cold. It's snowing up in the mountains. We're going up to Breckenridge tomorrow, and they're expecting a couple of feet of snow. So that should be fun in in my minivan. Crikey. Well, we don't yeah. have any snow. We, we got cold weather, and then, you know, it's a little bit damp and stuff, but it's not actually snowing. It's not incapacitating. But it's pretty uh, well, we had single digits and, and below zero last week, and now it's... Probably approaching 60, but I think it's supposed to get down to 8 tomorrow. You know, it's, it's nuts. Wow. Uh, my, my koi pond is completely iced over. Those I have a really nice, nice, uh, fountain sculpture from the water freezing. Okay. So do those fish, the they go like way down? Yeah, they so just, they just go down to the bottom and say, fuck this until, till warm weather. So I'm drinking tea while I'm doing this as well. Very nice. Hmm. I do like another cup of tea. It's uh, a coffee alternative. We like over is it, here. Is it no. Earl Grey? It's not. It's Lady Grey, actually. Lady Grey. Do you do you drink your tea with milk? I do. Milk. I don't think you're supposed to with Lady Grey, but I have to. Put some honey in it. No, no, I'm sweet enough. <laughs> Be damn near intolerable otherwise. And uh, so the book is definitely happening now. So at some point here, soon, and. Maybe if I can get my ass to to LA, I think think uh, I can I can get airfare and stuff taken care of, and maybe sleep on somebody's couch. See if you can cash in. Some um, so we could talk. So we could talk book stuff. Um, you know, because I definitely would love to have you do a tutorial for the for the book, but I'm not sure what I would like the focus to be. Something that's not in it now, or would be completely new way of doing something. Awesome. That does exist. So, wicked. <laughs> I'm insisting on it. Awesome. So, um, I guess my news is um, I'm coming to LA in, for January in for IMADS. Yay! Uh, coming to America. Now I'm looking forward to it. And do you know what's really bad is I'm actually kind of looking forward to a 12-hour flight by myself um, because I won't have to placate <laughs> any children or or apologize to any uh, cabin crew for you know noise from children so that's cool but yeah no it should be fun i'm looking forward to it i haven't been to an the last la imax i went to was the first imax in 1997 that's that's going back that's going back that was that was in the that way back in the 20th century i know it was a long time ago it was before the internet was for me anyway but uh yeah i just finished on doing stuff for saving private ryan and i went out and it was amazing. It was really, really cool. And I remember the best thing that I remember, because the, the main reason I wanted to go was to see Dick Smith, because he was going to be there. And there was this line of people queuing up, because there was this theatre where he was 
going to do his little presentation. I say little presentation, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, and uh, they had a whole bunch of people queuing to get in. And then there was a point at which they couldn't get in, but they extended the line because they had another room that they prepared. See, Michael Key had planned ahead. Uh, they had a live video link and I, I did manage to get into that one. So that was cool. So I got to watch, you know, his presentation. There was a few hundred people lining up to see it. Anyway, what was cool is you had Dick Smith coming along the line as he's going towards, you know, his thing. He's coming along the line going, you guys are not going to get in. It's not, you're not going to get in. <laughs> um, and he, he knew, you know, that the guy had said how many, you know, what the, um, what the capacity of the theater was. And he said, you know, from this point on, he was, and he was just coming along and saying to everyone, oh, you can come into the, you know, he was basically saying, I won't do the voice. That was a, that's a pretty good impersonation. I know. I, I, that sounds hideously disrespectful, but yeah, he, he was basically coming along and saying, you know, you, from this point on, you're not getting in, but you can get into the, you know, the live link up theater underneath. And he was saying hi and shaking hands. It was really, really cool. And then like all these lines of people that didn't know each other were now chatting away because, you know, our collective God had walked past and it was a really, really nice moment. I remember sort of being like, Oh my God, there he is. You know, that was cool. The early IMAT shows were great. I mean, they're still, they're still a lot of fun, but they've, they've changed. The, the focus has, has shifted away from effects. Uh, I think a little bit and maybe, maybe it's coming back more that direction again. But my first IMATS was a few years after yours. Uh, and I, and I took some students out with me and that's first time I met Neil and, uh, realized how gracious he was with looking at, at student portfolios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, he does care about it and he really cares about, you know, the the, 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 important things that matter when you're making stuff. I think that's the thing. It's, it's not about, you know, the first thing that comes out of his mouth isn't a product and he's not trying to sell you a line. It's just like, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go away and look at these things. And often they're not easy things to hear. Right. Can um, you, can you hear that phone ringing? I can hear that phone ringing. All right. It's, was that a plot point to the story? No, I, I, oh, I just didn't know if it was going to be a distraction or not. No, no, it's fine. No, I thought you were going to say, well, let me tell you who that is. <laughs> and a, yeah, a sales <laughs> call or something. I told this guy 20 times. No, um, it's, we're, we're still getting, you know, the, the election's over and we're still getting these stupid robo political phone calls. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so that was really, really cool. Um, you know, that Neil would do that kind of thing. And I think that was the good thing about IMAX was I think prior to that, we'd read about, some of these people, you know, in Makeup Artist magazine, obviously for me, it was things like, you know, Fangoria and Gorzone, where I'd read about these people. So to actually go up yeah. to them and speak to them and someone like Neil would sit down and explain, you know, what you're doing wrong. It's a really valuable thing. And it's, it's something I think perhaps nowadays, maybe people, I don't know if they, I get, I, I'd like to think people are more, you know, still respectful of things, but I think people get used to the idea that you actually can get in contact with people easily. Um, in a way that I still think it's quite a novelty that, you know, you can pretty much connect with anybody. And yeah, um, an example would be, um, I remember ages ago, I think it was before Facebook, I got in touch. There was a forum, you know, a chat room or a forum or something. Oh, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I think uh, Doug Drexler was on there and he was talking about something. And I, I got in touch with him and just said, oh, I used to read your articles on in Gorzone about stuff and he was just really nice that he got back and it's just amazing that you could get in touch with these people and I'd hate to get to the point where people just assume that you know if you exist that that you can 
you're available for that. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, well, you know, it's Greg Cannon or whatever. Don't just walk up to him like you fucking own the place. It's Greg Cannon. Yeah. I just start talking like, of course he's going to know who I am. We, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it'd be like, I'd still be a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I should. And there's some 20 year old stride up who's always, you know, always, always, always known, uh, complete connectivity. It doesn't occur to them that perhaps, um, sure. you know, talk to them right instantly on a first name basis. Exactly. It's like, Hey, Greggy, how you doing? And I'm, uh, Greg, but I don't know. Maybe they <laughs> don't have the bag. Maybe they don't have the baggage of growing up watching the Lost Boys. So they're not sort of, you know, hampered with that. Oh, talking of which, um, not quite the same thing. Uh, I got my, um, you're so cool Brewster video through today. Have you heard of that? No, it's uh, it's the making of Fright Night. Ooh, and it's a, it's a documentary about the making of Fright Night. It's fucking brilliant. I'll put some pictures up and some links on the blog post about this. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a company that uh, looking into doing like retrospective making of, of of classic movies, and I hear they're doing a Lost Boys one. I think they did the uh, they did the book of um, you know, the American Wealth in London, Beware the Moon. They made a book about right. That. Oh, same same people. Yeah, same people. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, check it out. You're so cool, Brewster. And it's a DVD, yeah, yeah. Blu-ray, and there's a little comic in there, and there's a disco extras. It only came today. I've had like five minutes to quickly scan through it, so I haven't really watched it. So what are you doing talking to me? Well, I got this to do, and then I got some accounting to do, and it's just dull, and I can't get to it, so it's sad. Ah, the fun, the fun stuff that uh, that we do that doesn't get talked about quite as much. It's, oh, oh, it must man. be so much fun doing what you do. You to sculpt, and you're working with 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 actors, and you're you're being so creative all the time. And how um, much time do you spend yeah, crying? Come do my taxes for me, <laughs> please. No, it's but it's pretty cool. Um, so uh, listen, I got uh, the second part of the interview with Rob Smith. So let's go listen to that, and we'll be back after that. Yay. And what I do is, if I've got a big foam run to do, I'll, I'll do multiple Kenwood mixers. So um, I think I wound up doing. I mean, the, the way those suits were broken down, it wasn't that. It wasn't like anything was that big. But um, I'll run a couple of bowls at once, you know, and then I'll do it. Um, and just inject away. If I have to do a full body like a fat suit, I've, I've got so little room there. I don't want the big Hobart things. Because they're so bloody heavy, I couldn't keep carting them down to the shed. You know, I could. You can't do it. And also, um, the ones that plug into normal, not three phase or whatever, they are only only go up to a certain size. It's like the equivalent of three Kenwood bowls, maybe five Kenwood bowls or something. Otherwise, you've got to get the big industrial things. You've got to have different electrodes. You know, electrical supply. It's a, yeah, it suddenly becomes a big hassle. Yeah, and it's planted in that one and it's spot. There. Yeah, and it's never going anywhere. The, the, where the socket is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I, I didn't want. To, I just don't want to go down the route. Um, I've hired them in the past. I've borrowed them. I've but I've found that my preferred method is just to have like six Kenwood majors on the go, and if that's not going to fill the mould, which it probably won't, if it's a big thing, um, I will foam them all up. I'll then decant it into a big fun tub, it's set that aside, get another lot on the go, and you can. Do, I mean, I've done up to three, you know, sections like that, and then when it comes to time to inject in, literally uh, with a big wire hand whisk, gelling agent in the fun tub. Mix it up by hand. Mix the gelling agent in by hand. It's all got colour in, so you can see when it's mixed. And um, and then suck it, suck it up with the syringe, and off you go. And it works. Wow. The only thing you have to be careful is that it doesn't collapse, which you can do if you put too much foaming agent in and you haven't foamed it up enough or um, too much. Well, you need to you need to get rid of 
enough ammonia. There's always a danger that you're going to worry it's all going to gel too quick and it's all going to, it's a lot of wastage. Mm. Um, but uh, if you make sure you deammoniate enough, you shouldn't get too much collapse. Because I've had problems with just the bubbles breaking down because it really wanted a bit more ammonia to come off or it needed to be foamed up higher. Yeah. And there's too much of that free soap that's not hasn't done anything, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I gave it a go, oh, I don't know, a few years back now, and uh, I thought, this is, this is all right, it works, yeah, it's good. For for, for, for a big sort of creature suit, yeah. Um, or, a, you know, a fat suit. It's normally things I'm doing, like a fat suit or something. Mm -hmm. That's um, where, you know, knowing your material so well that you can do that comes down, yeah. rather than just being, you know, maybe you've run 10 batches in your life. You know, yeah, like, you're yeah. automatically going to think, well, it's yeah. got to be one big mixer. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's having that audacity to mix well, it that by was, hand, like yeah. you say. But. Well, I also bought, I haven't used it yet, I've still got this, you know, one day, I'll pluck up the courage. I bought one of those big sort of industrial food mixer things that's on a stick, like a stick mixer. It's right. still got a twin beater at the end. I thought, I wonder if I can do a one big batch in a fun tub using this thing. <laughs> Foam it up by hand, you know, six minutes of... And then refine it a bit. Just just do it all of that. But it, the thing is, when you're doing the multiple chemicals, you've got to keep cleaning them out between. And yeah. there you've got that bit of wastage time. So I always, well, there's usually three of us on, on it and somebody's washing stuff up and then handing a the bowl back to him. And then, you know, and then I'm injecting in while the other guys are mixing the gelling agent in, you know. Um, and it's kind of, it's a bit of a, you have to know your your workmates very, very well. It's good fun. I just, I actually like, trying things out see is this going to work can you get away with this you know the the whole try and make everything more economical quicker cheaper you know what can you do to, to just not just keep doing it the standard way which is not always maybe it might be the easiest way to explain you know when you're running a shop I guess and you've got lots of employees mm. you've got to have standard practices haven't you where you can just say to somebody can you do that and they know what you mean because it's industry standard mm -hmm. but I guess because I've worked on my own for so long, there's very little that I do that's industry standard, you yeah. know. So I can't just say, "Can you do this?" Oh, well, I'll have to show you how to do it the way I do it, sort of thing. So, but I, I guess um, there's a you know there's a downside to just working for yourself and teaching yourself. Yeah, because you end up doing you know? things a lot for the first time yeah. to experiment. With you become like a yeah. professional rookie. Yeah. all the time yes. do you know what I mean Where you, yeah that's right Yeah, which you wouldn't want to do if it, like you said no. there's an established procedure exactly. yeah, but that I also mean. means that you can kind of innovate which I've I seen that. with things that you've done yeah. well like, I, it's what I get a kick out of I guess you know not. I, I would never bake a cake to a recipe in a book you know I'd, I'd want to tweak it a bit with a bit of extra or whatever you know change it a bit just to make it your you had some creative input you know yeah. because even when we're talking about the sort of uh the nuts and bolts, the technical aspects of this job, I still like to bring a bit of creativity to it, you know, try and do it differently. I'm sure every, everybody does it, you know, to some degree. Why, you know, obviously it's what motivated Dick Smith. He was, all, you know, always looking for a yeah. better way of doing it. You know, yeah, you weren't looking to be a drone to be no, slotted exactly. into an existing Not at all, no. And so, slot. so, yeah, just trying to think out. And Chris Tucker, I think, was uh, another guy that did that. And, you know, his his use of certain materials and things like he was using aluminium molds and some acrylic fleshy acrylic stuff he could, he did this uh, head of gregory peck for um boys from brazil right and it was really a nice dummy head but the material was some acrylic stuff that you had to cook in aluminium molds apparently and uh, i don't know how 
you make aluminium moulds with skin textures and things, I would have thought they always come out. Especially then. Yeah, exactly. Um, send it off to a foundry. I don't, I don't really know what he did, but uh, maybe it was the use of the word aluminium. It could have been aluminium filled resin or something. Right. I don't know. I mean, you know. But I'm, I had it in my head that these moulds had to be aluminium. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously epoxy resin with aluminium in it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a novel uh, material. It was like, you know, like when, I guess, Dick Smith was using... Was Elvisite, DuPont Elvisite, some plastic stuff that's like a sort of thick plasticky gel. Right. Sort of in, it's kind of in between a a cat plastic appliance and a Bondo transfer, I suppose. Yeah. You know, a sort of thing you can you could use it, but it's probably not really soft enough and flexible enough to use in a makeup. But it worked better than just a latex shell or something. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's, Before. it's it's good for people to have that kind of urge to want to yeah, try these things try out. Stuff out. Yeah, exactly. You know, but you also need the luxury of time to be able to do that, which I think a lot of time on yeah. jobs you don't. No, that's right. They just want it done the way we know it's quickest. Because yeah, that's the quickest, well, cheapest way. My uh, sometimes, yeah, I think that's that's mainly true. But obviously, sometimes it works the other way, where you just you just haven't got time to do anything else. But I've got to try this, and this has to work. <laughs> like I yeah, did yeah. when I was talking about that face thing when I did uh, where I floated the sculpt out. Yeah, I basically sculpted. I basically um, sculpted on a plaster face, and then I float. And then I molded the negative in in a fast cast urethane, and then floated the original plaster face out, so that then I could make a, a new plaster positive because the clay all stayed in the neg. Mm -hmm. So then I made. A new plaster positive, so I could use uh, a mold that I'd use for foam latex, and didn't have great uh, any keys on it, uh, or I just it was kind of it wasn't usable really. Uh, made it a workable mold for a silicone makeup, and it did work. It was good, and it was done in you know record time sort of thing, two or three days I guess. Mm -hmm. If I've got three days to do a job though, I want to spend two of them sculpting it. You know the thing that is I the want joy, to spend. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to just make lovely molds that took me two days, and then I only had a day to sculpt. You know, mm. I'd rather spend the two days sculpting than make the mold at three in the morning. Oh God, I hate, I hate this. Mm. Mold making for me is is a job that gets done in the middle of the night quite often because I wanted to spend all day on the sculpt. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's kind of uh, so quite often I'm making I'm making molds. It's quite in some ways it's a good thing because I I know the fumes aren't. Um, Gonna bother me. I'm wearing a mask. I've got a garage door open or whatever. The kids are in bed. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no horrible fumes wafting around the house. There's nobody walking in on my. You know, uh, it's, I'm I'm all right in there with a the mask on and and the, and the door open. But but uh, so it's kind of works out well that I'm not using urethanes when uh, when there's other people knocking about. But um, yeah, it's it's very often uh, the mold. I, I I'm fascinated like Rob Freitas. I mean. I you know, great admirer of his amazing mould making. And, um, I'm looking forward to his talk yeah, at the... Yeah, the, big the time, yeah. Time. I hope I'm not doing my bloody blood talk <laughs> at the same time or something, you know. But, um, uh, yeah, so I, 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 I love it. I love to see a good mould. And I, and I, I love moulds. I love the idea of moulds. But 90% uh, of the moulds I make are done in a hurry, done late, middle of the night, because I basically was sculpting till, oh, I should have finished the sculpt earlier. Oh, and the flashing took longer than I thought. And, you know, <laughs> I wish there was a product that you could use for flashing. There probably is, but, you know, just like a sheet of, I know you could buy those sheets of that wax stuff. Yeah, I remember Neil really used, used to use that. And Neil also used to yeah. put, uh, like, you'd get it into the thicknesses and he'd put it down on the face that's first just to make sure sculpt it, on the top yeah, to get a minimum thickness yeah, exactly. guaranteed. Yeah, that's a good idea. But I, I'd love something like that for flashing, you know. 
Yeah. Just sheets of clay that yeah. well, you, you can like do both like too I suppose you could. Yeah, I suppose you could. But I, I mean, I, I don't do it like I do it with no. sausages. I still prefer uh, to do yeah, sausages. Yeah. I guess, you I guess you've got a large area to do. Then it's well, yes. I had a job where I really had a larger area, and I was in a real hurry, so I ended up melting, you know, just melting plastiline or whatever, and having a sheet of it. But then you've still got to get to stick down. It's it's doesn't want to stick as easy when you've melted mm. it into a sheet. So I guess I could have done something clever with spraying it with something better. Uh, I don't. I'm not very good at saving clay and reusing it. I have to say, I tend to. Um, well, there's a time penalty involved in yeah, sort of exactly. being clean with it and, yeah. and making sure you manage it right. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to weigh that cost of your time up. With, yeah, I, I have to know. say, my time is the thing that I seem to have less less of. Well, this is it. I think you know, and, and people will spend. You know, if you're if you're charging yourself out an hourly rate, or you've budgeted for an hourly yeah. rate, you yeah. know, if you've oh. spent fifty quid. You know, saving a ten pound yeah, bag of clay. That's right. It's yeah. not worth it. I know. I know. It's like um, this thing about what chip brushes, washing. Now, I, I, I try and save them sometimes. Uh, if they're in latex, I kind of try and keep them in the latex, and I've put them in soapy water, and they always end up getting a bit gungy and annoying. And is it really worth it? Uh, but using brushes with resin, is it worth? The money you spend on acetone to yeah, save a chip brush. Yeah. How many? I don't know what other people do, but I just kind of weigh it up and think. By the time you've messed around with that for gel coat, yeah, I would say the benefit of using an older brush is that you ah. lose the hairs. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, actually, you don't. So have from those that old... point of view, yeah. you're quite right. You need to do like a, a, a time and money yeah, management exactly. exercise to, just yeah. to check yeah. that the acetone is actually cheaper yeah. than the brushes. Because if sure. it isn't, <laughs> you might actually be worth just throwing yeah, exactly. the brushes away, which is not the most environmentally no. sound way of doing something. But, no, that's right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'd give them a good old, when they're new, yeah. I'd give them a pull out anything pull. coming out. They still obviously, little yeah. hairs come out. And that, that's a point, actually. I don't know which ones you use, but I, I like the Tarantis ones, but they're not the cheapest. No. But I like wooden handle ones because yeah, I, I put them in like my mouth. Yeah. I often put it in my mouth. Yeah. And if you've got the plastic ones, they, they don't want to stay in your mouth. No. So you're not trying to clamp down on it a bit. Yeah, it <laughs> so I like a wooden one. It just goes in between my teeth when I'm doing something, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. What is the best wooden? I don't know. I've been getting them cheapest. from like, uh, I don't know, if, if there's a shop near me, Not Cuts, which is down there. Oh, okay. Me. They've got good ones. Uh, like, yeah. Or I'll order stuff from Fierce right. or Neil's. Or, I, okay. I tend to bundle that. And when I've got like a big order of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it just goes in with her. I'll just think to myself, oh, Gloves, tongue sticks, yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly, brushes. Yeah. I know I'm going to need yeah. and keep, so uh, I get them from wherever. So sometimes yeah, they're right. plastic, sometimes they're wood. But whenever they're wood, you're right. I'm yeah. like, oh, oh nice <laughs> it's a small detail, but <laughs> yeah. it makes a difference. Yeah, but I need to. I've, I have done research for trying to find cheap ones. I just never, never found any. I think there's a place called Decorating Direct or something that had some reasonably priced ones for for larger ones. Mm. But um, do they call them chip brushes over here, mm, or are they, just they laminating? Laminating brushes, I think. Yeah, are they known as chip brushes? In the states, are, I know they had chip brushes, right. but over, I don't know if there's a different name. Over. I just think the people hearing this, oh, sorry, yes, be like, laminating. They won't brushes. necessarily know what a chip brush yeah, is. Yeah, cheap brushes, cheap. Uh, what cheap are they magic. made with? Yeah. What is the fiber? What is the? It's a whole care. It's, is it whole care? Yeah, right, yeah. right. They're quite nice. Yeah, they're, they're, they're nicer. I mean, I know you can get plastic ones. Yeah. You know, getting vegan brushes, but oh, okay. I, I have found just for for cheap laminate. I'm not talking yeah. about makeup brushes, but yeah. cheap laminating brushes. I found yeah. the whole care is a better brush. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I use know. it on makeup as well. Um, I use those brushes for applying. Oh yeah. Yeah. Paint. You know, for applying uh, alcohol activated colors. Yeah. Oh, they flick on beautifully. And f not just the, but not just flicking. Actually, just just um, stippling. Yes. Uh, you know, you know, you just mesh, mush the brush up a bit, and then you yeah, can just. Yeah. 
because the hair is so long it's actually it's great. soft yeah and then it bends a bit yeah. at the end and you yeah. just get unusual little shapes yeah. on as you as you you know apply the it's true people think of pocket hair brushes as mm. the paint brushes you paint paint with but yeah right because they're quite short hairs they're quite stiff yeah yeah but they're, they're, they're about these are sort of you know 40 50 mil long yeah hairs in a laminating brush right yeah and they're right they are they have nice. a bit more spring to them they just i just like what they do and, mm. and they, they do things that i wouldn't do if i was going in with a tiny little brush yeah just uh nice things happen sometimes when you just you know do something that seems very uh sort of cack-handed yeah it actually looks good <laughs> But uh, and, amazing. and the other thing with painting stuff, I try to get the, I try and make the paint job as light as possible, which means I colour the silicone uh, with more stuff than I probably. This, this is kind of problem I've got because I haven't done a, t a proper test on it, which I should one day when I get a minute. I'll do it. Whether you should put flocking in when you're making pieces, right? Because does the flocking get in the cutting edge? Does it ruin your edge? Um, if it's injected, it might not. But if it's, it does collect around. It does collect. Yeah, you get little. Oh, there's a lot of flocking in it. Um, but if it's a open pore, I mean, I I do things. That's how I do them, and I do put flocking in. But and the edges are fine, you know. But I've always thought maybe I'd get better edges if I if I didn't put the flocking in. Mm. But then I'd lose um, the technique, I guess, for painting it, which mm. I like to keep minimum. It's hard because uh, something that's got a nice bit of flocking can look really real and really fleshy before you've even started painting it. Yeah. So you hardly have to put any colour on. It's great for silicon props and things like like an arm. If I was making an arm, I'd want to colour it like the inside of my wrist, pretty much, just with the flocking, not too much. I mean, a bit paler. Yeah, bit I paler. haven't. I haven't. I think if you're using like a pale flock to add the bulk of the colour, the volume mm -hmm. of, of yeah. Flocking you're adding to your mix yeah, is so significant. Yeah, no, I don't. May do it. have uh, that would if you. you no, I, I think to put a bit of like red or blue in. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The amount of flocking I'm adding doesn't really no. affect the edge. But it's interesting you say that about because yeah. the viscosity is changing, and also yes. if, even if they're quite short hairs, I have noticed where bleed points. Although they tend to be on the back, on the core, yeah, so you don't yeah. really see it. I have seen little clusters. Yeah, of flocking yeah that's right. Where obviously mm. pressure is, and the, the liquid's passing through, yeah. and it kind of almost it's like a you know like a dam. It's a strainer, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Yes. It's collecting all the exactly right. Detroit, because I, going back to my days of flushing heating systems, so not an entirely useless <laughs> no, skill. Do you know what I mean, it gives you an yeah. appreciation of yeah. fluid dynamics yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. and pressure and things like that. Yeah, um, but it's, it's yeah, it's one of those things because I I really like the flocking. I like the, what it how it looks and how little you have to color it if if you get it right. And um, and and what I do is I will colour the silicon with just white and yellow for for a Caucasian skin tone. This is I will colour the so I've got a level of opacity from the white, tiny bit of yellow in there, probably more yellow than you might imagine. You know, do the old dot on a stick thing so you can see how 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 translucent is this. And then the flocking actually is what tells me whether it's too translucent or too opaque because whether you can clearly see each strand of flock. That means it's too opaque because it's the opaque background of the silicon is showing me every little strand. Yes. I can see it. Yeah. It's too opaque. If it's a bit of a blur, it's a little bit. It's about right, you know. That's and a if very it's, good point. And if yeah. it's too translucent, then the flocking is just a yes. real blur in there. Because if you were to put flock into real skin, yeah, it would, it would blur very exactly. shortly after. The, like, yeah. like beard hair does. That yeah, exactly. Shadow. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So that's to me the best gauge for your translucency of your silicon, which is always hard, isn't it? Because yeah. you never mix up tons of it it's always for me it is anyway smaller jobs generally smaller jobs yeah and i'm mixing each job i'm mixing up a new batch really 
Or I'll have, I might have, you know, I might have a couple a smaller, of kilos. Smaller, but you won't, yeah. You no, won't maybe five, the most I've ever knocked up is probably five kilos at a time or something. Um, with a drill mixer and, you know, get get it right that way. But, yes, it's usually um, small. And uh, so getting that translucency, that level, every time, spot on, I just find the flocking is what helps. Because, uh, you know what it's like, you know, when the early days of, of uh, silicon, the jelly baby effect, you know, everybody was... Making everything too translucent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just too translucent. And I think it's almost gone the other way. It's a bit like the blood thing. The translucency factor is changing. Mm, I've seen yeah. some silicon makeups that could have been foam, you know, because they were quite opaque and they look quite painted and opaque. Um, and I thought, I can't actually tell if that's silicon or foam, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a balance. And I think, I think it's always, although it's translucency is very cool isn't it it's nice oh look at that really because it's so different from something that looks like a rubber thing mm. but it's easy to go too too much that way so i'd probably err towards the side of too opaque rather than the other that. I'd yeah. Agree with that. Yeah. but um yeah the flock that's that's really why i rely on the flocking that's why i'm kind of want to stick with the flocking really i want to i would like to know the flocking doesn't get into my edges i'd really like to know that flocking doesn't ruin your edges but I'm, I'm not sure. I think the, the the thing is, over the time I've been doing it, I guess I've been doing silicon stuff for 10 years, I guess, whatever it is. It's, it was foam up to a point. And then, uh, I know Neil really championed it in this country, didn't he? I, or certainly he was um, instrumental, really, in getting everybody onto the silicon stuff. Yeah, he was. And he, he, he made some big strides. And I remember, oh, crikey, this was, I remember the workshop in Wales Farm Road in the Westway. This was years ago. Right. This was 97, 98. Right. He'd done some tests. I'm pretty sure I have an idea that he'd used Prose uh, to encapsulate. Oh, yes. I've heard about it. Yeah. Um, so even then he was testing. But Neil's fearless. Right. He will try things out try that yeah. most people would be like yeah. terrified to do. Well, so I think you have to, yeah. I think he, yeah. you know, he really pushes boundaries yeah. by, by not being worried about what might happen. Yeah. You know? Take an intelligent guess and then just go yeah. for it. Yeah, even on a job where you can't afford it for it to go wrong. You know. I don't know. I yeah. mean, he's not being reckless with things, but no, I just, no, no. it's just, I mean, I remember, I just remember him doing things thinking, God, I'd be scared to do that. And yeah. then, then you kind of analyse where does that fear come from? And yeah. I, think that's, I think that's what holds a lot of people back is that what yes. might happen. He's yeah. just got a pair on him. You know? Well, you he'll know, just, he'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so you've got, I think it's great. It's what makes you know people get you know good at what they do, I guess. It's yeah. Just a, but then learning from what goes wrong rather than being destroyed by it. Yes. Because that exactly, happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. If, if it goes wrong, yeah, you, you've just learned something. Yeah, that's right. But why people are afraid to do that. I think the school well, system makes people, you know, train yeah. for the test. No one's really uh, prepared to sort of... Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that, that's true. Yeah, that is true. I mean, it's obviously, I guess you're self-taught, weren't you? Just, Largely, yeah. I did go to college, oh, you did but most of what I learned... Was, was afterwards. Yeah, or, yeah. or, or, or I was learning at home, you know. Right, making stuff and making mistakes and yeah. being bad about it, but coming back for more. Yeah. Well, I had a, um, you know, this thing about doing an epoxy gel coat and then backing it out with urethane, fast cast stuff. So you got the really good, solid surface which keeps all the detail and good release properties because you get much better release from cat plastic down with epoxy yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than urethane. Um, and this whole idea of having to do two gel coats and then some chopped strands and it's like, it takes so long to make the mould that way. You might as well just do it all in epoxy, really. But, um, so I thought, oh, let's just have a go with just epoxy and then just put the urethane straight on top of it and see what happens. And um, it's worked with one of them. It, it, you have to sort of mix it in a bit so it mechanically bonds. If you just literally pour, uh, I just, I'll tell you what I did as a test. I haven't used it on a job yet and this is just a test. 
just added some clay. I poured some epoxy into it, and then I poured some urethane on top. Fast cast. F well, it was still FC liquid. 54. Well, it was all still liquid. Yeah, my epoxy gel coats. I've just thickened it myself with Cabasil. It's just a cheap epoxy I use. And um, anyway, the one that was, I just poured one on top of the other. Did delaminate. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it did. You could sort of chip the epoxy yeah, off yeah. if you tried. Um, but the other one, I kind of just painted the um, the urethane, so it sort of mixed in with it a bit. I, I'm, you know, sort of they wearing goggles and gloves just in case it exploded or something. But um, it and it was good. So you do a gel coat and then let it go off, and then do another one. No, just just well, I did it uh, without letting it go off. I just because it was a test, because it was a test. Yeah, yeah. And now I don't see why there'd be a problem if a tiny bit of the urethane came right the way through to the surface. It, it's it would still probably have a micro thin layer of epoxy over it anyway, so you'd mm. still probably get the good release properties. Okay. Um, and what kind of epoxy gel coat you use? It's uh, it's a boat building epoxy. It's um, there's a company called UK Epoxy Resins. I don't write this down. Yeah, yeah, I write down. Yeah, I've yeah. never I've, I haven't done that much with well, epoxy. I'd like to try it. Well, the thing is, they are quite reasonably priced. I mean, obviously, Mold Life do their Mold Gel what, 99, which is an epoxy gel coat ready knocked up, which is good stuff. Yeah. Um, but because I'm laminating with epoxy and doing that. I buy this stuff from UK Epoxy Resins. It's pretty good, um, you know, price is okay. And um, I just mix it with Cavacil Thixo fibres and usually a mixture of those. Sometimes I'll polyfibers? add... Polyfibres? Uh, polyfibres, I mean, yeah. I said Thixo fibres, I mean polyfibres. Okay, yeah, poly I've, got, I've got a big bang of that. Yeah, great. Well, that's great, yeah. Um, so, what happens, unless you have to heat it up, it's fine unless you have to heat it. If you're worried that the stuff's taking too long to go off or whatever, so you warm it a bit, then the polyfibers kind of they all separate and the, the resin doesn't it moves okay. it's kind of runs and you get all you can see a weird pattern happening okay um you can even put the epoxy in the microwave just to warm the resin up a and b separate yeah. I, I i warm them up before if it's cold if they've been stored in cold it'll go off in 40 minutes it'll be chewy and then you can go on with your next you know go in with the laminate so yeah no not more than an hour if it seems to be taking a while i might put a fan heater on it or something but that's when you can have it because it gets thinner and it and then it pulls into nose tips or something, you know, stuff like that. It's pretty good um, mixing your own gel coat because you can, you know, if it's a bigger thing, you might want it a bit runnier, and if it's a small thing, you might, you know, just depends. Details you can do another one with a load yeah, of exactly, yeah. Or if like something like a Beauty and the Beast where you've got this deep recess in here, you can mix it up to a real thick paste and you know add chopped strands in it as well and just yeah. chuck, chuck it in there. Plug it in, yeah, yeah. Just fill it. And and as you add thixo fibres and cabosil, it kind of makes the stuff become more like a thick glue, like thick wallpaper paste kind of thing. So yeah. you can kind of use it. And then and then once that's gone a bit tacky after let's say forty minutes, I'll go on with the cloth and um or chop chop strands in a bit of a thickened mix first and then cloth over that. Just have to be careful make with it the Yeah, you've got to You've got to be careful about the bubbles. That's the only, you know, because if a bubble gets trapped under there, it's quite hard to work it out. Yeah. It's not like fiberglass where, you know, the, the strands go everywhere. Yeah, it's not like that. But so you do have to do a bit of cutting and stuff. But um, I, I think it's great. I love it, and it doesn't, it doesn't itch and it doesn't get you if you're careful with it. And I'll finish the moulds uh, often with a dusting of aluminium trihydrate just so they've got a grippy surface. So they're not all clamps will stay on them. If you want to put a clamp on it. Um, I mean, they're probably most of those sort of molds are bolted, but not all of them. Um, yeah, it just gives it a surface to. So you just onto. sprinkle that on. Sprinkle it on, like yeah, just and then just hoover it off later, and then yeah, whatever's stuck. Exactly, yeah, that's that it, and it gives you a grippy oh, surface. Okay. And then, so if you're using the fold back clips, they'll they'll clamp onto it. Rather Otherwise, than slide they slide off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's it, I like it. It's good. It's a little bit time consuming, but those 
moulds will last years, you know. I mean, I've I've run thousands of pieces probably from moulds. They will crack eventually, but... And I've tried loads of different fillers. I've tried aluminium filler. I've tried other resins um, from other this companies. This is for foam, right? This is for... Well, it's either, actually. But, yeah, foam. I'm talking about foam when I was... So you're subjecting to heat. So if you were yeah, to do yeah. the same thing, but for silicon... Yeah, you would be putting it sure through the same. No, that's I mean right. most people are not going to run three hundred pieces anyway. No, exactly. No, I think on um, yeah, I mean I, oh, silicon it'd be fine. Yeah, it's like no, I've done silicon molds where I actually didn't bolt them together as well. I just fold back, clipped them a whole face. I don't see Edges why that right, is a good clip. Yeah, and the mold yeah. works well. Yeah, it should yeah, close right. nicely. I just try and keep the mold edges where I can see them. Yes, I mean you saw that that plaster mold I had out there. Just it's just a. Terrible yeah, mould. Edges next to it. You can see the edge because if yeah. if there's a thick edge, you can see. Which it. goes against, yeah, absolutely. You know, sort of com- yeah. no, it's wisdom. But, yeah, it is. But so long as you've got keys. Well, this is the thing, and the reason I started doing it is because of using the plaster and polymer. Um, because in the old days of just plaster and crystal it was never really accurate. It was not as accurate as I wanted, it, especially on bigger things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you design a mould in a certain way, like the typical bathtub type thing, you can't see what's going on with any of those edges till you get a piece out. And then you've got to have some special kind of clamp to deal with it. If you're lucky, you can deal with it, but probably not. But when, it, when you start adding the polymer, um, the, far, the plaster becomes a tiny bit flexible. It's not, I wouldn't call it flexible, but when it's still green, mm. you can clamp it. So if I just took a mould apart, cleaned it out, put it together, and go, oh, that edge looks a tiny bit thick there, I'll just put a clamp on it before I put it in the oven to bake it out. Yeah, and it will, and it will and be folk. I think the good thing about a clamp is it's a con- consistent pressure. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, as yeah. the mould heats up and if yeah, it moves slightly, it's yeah. still being pulled yeah, exactly. closed by the clamp. Exactly. Um, That's really so you good. can sort edges, dodgy edges on plaster moulds if you use the polymer because you can. I mean, I've had edges that were, oh, that's not very good, but just gently with the clamp and in the oven, as long as you catch it. So this is a plaster polymer like the Taranty one? Taranty's polymer with Crystal R. Crystal Yeah, and okay. uh, for foam latex, this is... I haven't I haven't tried uh, trying to get a, a cat plastic uh, encapsulated silicon piece out of one of those for a long time right. because I I just had problems with the plastic sticking. But I probably just needed to try a few more releases and things. But it just happened on one job. I thought, I haven't got time to make new moulds in, in resin, urethane or epoxy or whatever. Um... So I used a plaster ear, and it just the cat plastic just stuck to the plaster, and I think it, I th- I thought it might be because the um, IPA was attacking the polymer. Mm. I'm not, I don't know mm. if it's true, but uh, I haven't really tested airbrushing it. it all. That was airbrushed on, yeah, oh, yeah, really? yeah. But my airbrush is quite a, it's really a basic one. It's not a very fine spray. It's kind right, of a, so it's it's like a model energy, maker's yeah. cheap, air, you know, badger cheap badger thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it checks quite a lot on. Um, so it could you know it has a chance to bite in but I was using I think I tried it with Vaseline I tried it with silicon oil and always epoxy parfilm but uh, no it's kind of it was a it was low level of um, deadener because it was an ear tip okay so it wasn't deadened very much at all uh, so it's not being quite sticky yeah so yeah exactly so the silicon's not grabbing the cat plastic as much as obviously the plaster was it could be simply that it might have been that that was the issue but it could be yeah it just kind of put me off trying to Spray cat plastic onto plaster, but of course, years ago we used plaster mold to make cat plastic pieces, just with Vaseline as a separate, yes, you know, separator, and brushed in as well. So we we've, we've gone through the blood thing, we've gone through the molding thing and the other mm. thing, which is very good. 
what I want to do is just record a little bit of what you're known for, because I think there may be people that know your stuff or heard your blood, or maybe didn't even know you had blood or whatever, yeah. and it'll be good to kind of expose people to your stuff. Well, it's a funny one, that, because I don't know what I'm known for. I, I, I would only be known for my blood, I would have thought, because my name's on the label. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not one thing or the other, really. I'm sort of a bit of this and a bit of that. It's not, here's Rob Smith. You could say, here's Rob Smith. He's, um, you know, he makes great, great blood and he runs great fame later. Which are you know, important but, things, but it's almost like getting people to appreciate that the blood they use is made by people and mm. the foam is something that gets made. Yeah. It's not just something that just falls off the shelf. No, and that's it's right. It's that gap of like, especially younger people, I think they don't really appreciate quite so much stuff is made. Yeah. You know, it's yes. not just this magical stuff you buy off a shelf and it comes from like a loveless, stainless factory. Yeah, not at all, no. Yeah. I mean, I, there's plenty of that there, but that's why. I, I mean, you, you see, people say, why don't you sell it in joke shops like at Halloween? Oh, well, I can't compete with a 50p bottle that was made in China or something. Mm. You know, that's some transparent terrible It's stuff. awful, but yeah. no, it's it good enough matter. for the people yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that want it. And they don't want movie quality blood. They, they just, they're not interested. Uh, they might be interested in the fact that it doesn't stain. Mm. But I think a lot of those formulas that you find in joke shops have got so little pigment in anyway, they're just like see-through transparent things. Yeah. They would, probably wouldn't stain because there's not enough colour in it in, in the first place, so... It's not an issue, but yeah, I'll um, say non-staining, and that's why they buy yeah. it. The fact it's not staining yeah. because it's so shit and there's no pigment in yeah. it is, is by the by. Exactly. <laughs> what I'd actually, what I'd really like to make one day is a, is a staining blood. <laughs> this is like it's got lots of pigment. It looks really realistic, but it will stain. But I wouldn't sell it to. But I say that on the packet. I say on the packet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you've got another, you know, backup set of gear to wear afterwards, it's, it's good, but not for theatrical use. As as far as credits on movies is concerned, I don't have any. I've worked. Pretty much nearly 30 years uncredited, I would say. Most of the stuff I've ever done. Uh, and I don't know if there's a very good reason for that, other than it doesn't bother me, so I don't make a point of it's asking for a credit. Yeah. And I think sometimes people I work for probably don't necessarily want me to have one because they just like to hunt their secret weapon or something. <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> In all seriousness, I don't... Um, it doesn't bother me. It, some, it bothers friends and relatives, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Why haven't you yeah, got a credit? Hang on, you did all, why didn't you get a credit? I guess the people that are going to hire you and buy your stuff yeah. won't find you through the credits. Of the no, credits. well, so that's the thing. It becomes a vanity thing. That is the thing. And um, it's all <laughs> word of mouth. It's just, it's word of mouth. Yeah. Every job I've ever got was word of mouth. From day one, when, you know, Bob Bevan, at Fo Charles Fox gave my number to somebody at the BBC. This mm. guy can do prosthetic pieces. Oh, I got your number from Charles Fox. And, and that was it. And it was, and then, you know, you just worked with people that randomly found you, me personally, through those routes, through Screenface, basically, and Foxes. And then, obviously, it's word of mouth after that. And, I, you know, for years, I worked on making prosthetic pieces and hardly went on set, hardly went near a set. It would be a makeup artist who asked me to make a piece for them to apply. Mm -hmm. And it was all foam latex, occasionally gelatin. Um, sometimes people even wanted just cat plastic stuff. Um, like I was actually, I was telling you earlier, I got asked to do some oriental eyelids in just in cat plastic once. And Magdalene at Screenface had Tom Smith's one of his old molds, and it was a big square block mold plaster, solid plaster with a couple of little oriental eyelids in it somewhere. It's like he'd sculpted these little oriental eyelids on a board and just poured a big block of plaster on top of it. Wow. Um, and I guess the mold was pretty old, but uh, I was very careful to, you know, give it a good layer of Vaseline and then just brush, probably just brushed cat plastic in there. 
Yeah. Made a few sets of uh, of Oriental eyelids for work. I don't even know what project it was for. It was just something I was asked to do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, great, Tom Smith mould. Um, my son's called Tom Smith now. No, no, no connection at all. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, interesting to see a big chunky plaster mould. But uh, but I think I have. I don't know what I, I've only known by people. That I guess I've kind of worked with. Would you consider yourself? I would consider myself. Jack, would you consider yourself? You, 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 Jack of Jack all trades, master of none, <laughs> master of blood. I'd say master of one. Master of blood. There you go. Master of blood. I've tried so to, you make blood. Yeah, I make blood. different kinds of bloods over the years. But yeah, you've, you've got. You know, a couple that you see. Yeah. You make you make your good bloods, and yeah. you, you run a lot of foam. I run a lot of foam. People. I kind of specialise in doing super soft foam latex, which is you know like that stuff I showed you is really really soft. Yeah, especially for bigger, heavier makeups. Um, there's less and less foam running for makeups these days, but still on theatre, uh, on stage, I think foam is nice because it's lighter. It's you can sweat through it. It stays on better. I think under hot, sweaty conditions on stage, I think foam latex is a nicer thing for the actor to wear. And a lot of theatrical things are bigger and bulkier things generally anyway. You know, the masks are, mm. um, you know, a little bit. They're not subtle like a... No. And that might. piece that you showed me, I mean, it's not going to convey in a, in, a, in a photograph, but the softness of that foam. It was, yes. It was like shaving foam, but soft. Uh, yeah, it was well, just exquisite. It well, that's like silk. And well, that's the 12 idea. years old, that piece. That is old, actually, yeah. It's, been, it's probably been sat in a plastic bag in a dark shed, so it hasn't been exposed. Yeah, but the fact that it's still... Yeah, still, you know, still I mean, yeah. you, you could apply that tomorrow. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was as, as I was saying earlier. It was a combination of Christopher Tucker's foam that I saw for the first time. All I'd run was some carpet backing foam, which was really tough stuff, sold by a company called Industrial Latex Adhesives, which was recommended to me by Paul Catling. I don't know if you know Paul Catling, but he's yeah, yeah. brilliant, brilliant sculptor and well, brilliant everything now. He's, I think he's a designer now, isn't he? Doesn't yes, he, he does is, yeah. Um, and he was like one of the first guys I met at Coast to Coast. And he impressed me. Amazed. I was amazed, you know, when I was about 15, 16. And this guy was oh, early 20s, I suppose. He was early 20s, mid 20s. And he, he was just brilliant stuff. His portfolio was, oh my God, this guy's like his paintings Baker. and his designs. Yeah. Yeah. Just, but he done, it seemed effortless. He did this ape creature. He did this, um, it was like a pale flesh colored ape and all airbrush veins and stuff. And it was so good. And, a, and a, he had, a, I think he had a, a, like an orangutan look. And the eyes were so real. It was just a brilliant, brilliant style. Oh. Wow, um, but anyway, he he was he said you know when you're starting out try this stuff, industrial latex adhesives. It was tough rubber. It probably got up to about three four volume. <laughs> I was doing like full face makeups in like three, more even less, really tough, and um, uh, so I can't remember why I mentioned that, but um, oh because we were talking about those really really soft. Oh, that's my soft. Yeah. So anyway, when I was met Chris Tucker, he had this bucket of reject pieces from Quest for Fire and they were like these full face sort of ape things and they were so soft you pick them up and go, my god this is, this is amazing stuff because I listened to a, a podcast with Ron Perlman oh yeah. Yeah, yeah Mark Maron's podcast oh, wow, yeah. and he was telling um, an amazing story about um, working on um, Island Dog de Moreau oh okay yeah yeah um, with Marlon Moreno yeah. it's a very good Marlon Moreno impression as well you can check that out but um <laughs> But yeah, he was talking about that and wearing, you know, this makeups and stuff. And he was like, oh my God, you have Quest for Fire. And I remember that being in like, I think maybe the Corson book or something. Just a it picture. Been, yeah. I, I, I'd forgotten if I knew that. It's amazing. Yeah, he's, uh, but the foam was so, so soft. It was like, my God, how do you, how do you do this? And then in reading Rick Baker's Cinefix, was it edition 14? <laughs> Whatever. The one with the apes and stuff. Yeah, he had the grey stoke ape on yeah, the front. Yeah, yeah. And there's an interview with Tom McLaughlin in there. There was some quotes from Tom. Talking about Rick, or Rick said Tom was producing twenty volume foams, 
and it was an exaggeration, which I didn't realise at the time. So I took it literally. Tom McLaughlin was produced. I can't remember the exact quote because I haven't read it for a few years, but this gravity-defying moose, like t something like ridiculously high volume foam, like 20 volumes. Uh, so I, I thought then, okay, we've got to, I've got to try and make 20 volume foam. That's going to be really good soft stuff. I've never managed to get tw 20 volumes, but probably 15. 15 before 12 it's... to 15, and then it, that's about as soft as I've managed. Um, and uh, so anyway, I spoke to Tom McLaughlin more recently, and he said, oh, that was just an exaggeration. Rick said that, oh, no, no. They were probably about 12 volumes. Okay, right. Because it was like, it was like I spent 20 years going, I just can't get it up like Tom McLaughlin can. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, a quote. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like a, a bit of a mission. I think I got to a point, it was on Woman in White, where I was doing all the fat makeups for, you know, Michael Crawford and the other guys that took over the role. The softness really does matter. It was a big, yeah, because it was such a thick piece, uh, really quite, you know, over the top kind of thing. And if it, that had been tough that foam it would have just been awful but I made it um, nice and soft so he could you know stretch I mean that I do think is the one thing that foam has over silicon is that it yeah. compresses well yes well, it compresses better yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, silicon I mean if you get silicon that soft it just doesn't keep its shape no it's it hangs it's under its own weight you know yeah it, it is it's it's heavy oh I mean I guess it looks great um, I could do more experimentation with sort of foam under silicon I guess I think there's, there's got that's got to be done. I'm sure someone will come up with a great. Uh... We did do something like that on the first Harry Potter. There was oh, some okay. tests being done. That did Mark they not? Did. And did they not do after that in the subsequent ones? They ditched that idea, didn't they? I only worked on the first one and the right. third one, but right. I remember distinctly because there was a whole bunch of tests we were and we had to like double up on moulds because you had obviously inserts in foam, and because of inhibition you couldn't run the silicon over the foam pieces, so you had to make. Yes. The nose first, then you'd have right. to make like a reduced version of that in okay. the core. So it's and a then big you'd old, run your foam yeah. pieces and end up being like a double big old process. Job. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you could run your foam pieces first, yeah. stick them on cores, and then run your silicon around yeah. it, well, that would be amazing. It's just the inhibition issues. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know if inhibit X completely I, removes it. I haven't tried it. Got to I have to try it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Next, next thing to test out. I mean, um, polyfoam's only. It's not really soft enough. It, it wouldn't. Um, it wouldn't do the job of, no. of soft fleshiness, would it? It would just bulk it out. I mean, I've used polyfoam inserts for yeah, heads big and things. things. And yeah, absolutely. But but uh, no, not on a jawline or a yeah, neck. Like or a two-part urethane expanding foam. It would be that's, nice. It's messy, messy business. For small yeah. pieces, it's really messy. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, wouldn't it be nice if there was a foam silicone? Mm. I mean, there is silicone foam they use in medical, isn't it? But it's not. I don't think it's what we want. It's not like soft. I'd be worried about the opacity though, because the bubble structure would. Yeah, but under, what I mean is, as a backup, uh, oh, I see. You yeah, know, yeah. you'd have your silicon skin, and then you'd back it up with foam silicon. Sure, and they would um, chemically bond. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess that's a that's a thought. If anyone hasn't tried it, just trying to get the softest foam silicon. I'm sure it could be done. It just maybe there's no application for it, so they haven't, it hasn't been needed. But maybe we need it. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, what are, what am I known for? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to be known for, for running nice foam and making nice blood and uh, occasionally doing the odd nice makeup. But I don't I do not do as many... I mean, it's my, my career is kind of based at mainly working here. I go on set a little bit, but it's, you know, only a handful of times in the course of a year. Yeah. Uh, I, get, I tell you what, I've been very lucky. Like Penny Smith, who gets me to do a lot of um, makeup jobs for her, um, sometimes just gets me in for our application only so I come in in the morning apply the prosthetic and go mm -hmm. and just charge a half a day or whatever um, so yeah no I love that that's, that's brilliant come up apply and then go 
Um, and I'm also quite lucky that I've done smaller projects where you haven't got to apply the same makeup 50 times. Yeah. I mean, I've done a few like that, but not many. One of the first, after my brother moved to Nashville in 2000, I came back straight on to Shiner, which was Michael Caine film about boxing. And there was a character, one of his henchmen had a broken nose and a cauliflower ear and stuff. And he was kind of 60 days shooting, I think. So I had to apply that one a fair few times. That was actually before I started using silicone. So I was, it was a foam nose, and um, but uh, a silicone ear because I was using caulking silicone. Right. So I made a cauliflower ear just with caulking. We also had little, um, this guy's an ex-boxer and he had like this scarring on his eyelid. So I made little silicone pieces to go on his eyelid because I thought it's not going to move. It was like on the bone. It's not going to move a lot. So I could get, and it was only tiny. So I thought I made these little silicone pieces out of caulking which got glued on here as well. And they were meant to look like scarred little bumps. And they worked all right. I mean, he wouldn't. They stayed on. I think we glued them on with three four five. I think. I might, no, no, it wasn't. I think three four five had gone by then. I think. Oh, right. I think two thousand. Yeah, I used that on Black Beauty in nineteen ninety uh, four six nine something. Wow. I think that's the last Eventually time. Eventually, they prosthetics to a horse. I did glue prosthetics on a oh, horse. You did? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and I had to be very careful with the metal tool when the horse jerked its leg up because I could have lost an eye at one point. But the horses were very well trained and they were good. Um, it was, yeah, no, I don't know when it was, mid-90s, early 90s. Black Beauty, Warner Brothers, and Magdalene at Screen Pace got me on that one. That was probably her last film, I think. I'd done a lot. I did Chaplin with Wally, and that was like his retirement, last film he ever did, okay. And then Magdalene did, a few years later, Magdalene did Black Beauty, and that was her last film, and then she went to retire. Um, so that was like, my introduction, oh, okay, see ya. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was good fun, because I had to make fresh wounds on the horse where he gets skinned and his skin comes off. Mm-hmm. So I had to make the, the sort of open wound, so I made these little foam latex wounds, glued hair on, because the horse's hair yeah, is like hair, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like... Yeah. like so I glued this hair on it. It was good, actually. Um, I got some crap photos of it that you can't really see anything. It's like, I might as well not have taken a photo. Um, but then I had to do swollen knees, so the horse's knees swelled up because he went down, damaged his knees. They were, didn't work quite as well because of the hair, the way the hair sort of... I mean, I looked at reference pictures. I had equine practice. The director, Caroline Thompson, who wrote The Secret Garden, I think she'd done them, and she became a director, and she directed this lent me this book of equine practice, which was like horrible things that happened to horses and, you know, a vet, a book for vets, basically, horse vets. Um, and uh, so I had some good reference of the fresh wound, the swollen knees, the proud flesh, which is like the scarring that happens to a horse after um, they get this, it's, it's like scab, but it's like a soft scab, it's, and it's called proud flesh, um, which is kind of lumpy, bumpy stuff, which I used um, on Roma Plastilina, and I used a heat gun, a he- um, like a, you know, a, a blowtorch to, to make it bubble and blister on the surface to get that nice uh, sort of bubbly thing you couldn't sculpt, you know. You know, one of, you know, like you do a lot of things that you don't sculpt the textures, you use other things. Yeah, you know. it causes it to happen. Yeah, it causes it to happen, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that was fun. And then the, um, the final scar, which is a very sort of translucent, greyish looking thing that ends up on a horse that's... Uh, um, I, they were all foam latex, there's no translucency to the materials, but... I painted it. I think I ended up painting the scars with a Brillo pad. So I had um, a bit of a bit of just patch paint, but a few layers, and then finally went on with a Brillo pad with I think a pale grey colour. You know, Brillo pad's got these random, you know, 
shapes and if you paint with them you just get random little squiggly bits <laughs> good for, i guess great for you know little broken veins and you mean literally the yeah an actual scratchy yeah scratchy yeah green brillo pad you know mm. you just and if you rough them up a bit and you get weird yeah, cause they're basically out. like sort of coiled yeah. swarf that's flexible yeah. Yeah, so at no point is it lying flat. There's lots of curvature, right. so you well, would end up creating, like you say, specks. And than... yeah, but you know, you know, a sponge that you use for washing up. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the, gre- the oh, green, the green, the yeah, green. Yeah, yeah. I beg your pardon. What, yeah. Are they called brillo pads? Yeah, oh, like, yeah, yeah, like sponge scours. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you get you, those things. Um, so yeah, you get nice little random quiggly squiggly bits, and um, and it looked really good on the um, on the scar on the final horsey scar because that's because I had <laughs> the horrible. You can peel them off. The guy that was the horse wrangler had a horse um, there, and he actually peeled one of these scars off. They just peel off, and then the horse is all right underneath. It's not like it was causing any trouble. A real horse. one? They actually, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, real. So I had this real horse scar. And I think they're things that come up regularly. They've got like a, from from ancient, uh, you know, evolution, they've got this third or whatever, how many toes it is, mm-hmm. that grows on a horse. Mm-hmm. And they, they, these scabs come up every so often and they just uh, have to be picked. It's weird. I, I never knew anything about this. I, and I can't remember the detail, but it, it's something that happens to horses that these little scabby things grow on them and then you just peel them off. So I had one of these. And um, so I had this actual, yeah, horse scab, <laughs> horse scar, basically, to uh, to look at for reference. <laughs> oh, God. It was good. It was a nice job. And I got, um, I was gluing, I was using 3-3. Three, three, that was probably the last time I used 3-5-5. And, uh, glue the piece on the horse it stayed on great then what was great about it was you could flick with a little tool you could just flick the horse's own hair over and cover all the edges Amazing. so the horse yeah, hairs yeah, just yeah. flicked over the edge and covered all the all the bits um if there was a little bit of a discrepancy in the colors i just sprayed it black carefully um especially i remember doing it on the knees because i'd used black hair or whatever dark brown hair i could get it wasn't a perfect match for the horse so i just sprayed it I guess it's a tricky one because if, if if the skin swells, yeah. the amount of hair that's there would be the same, yeah. so it would yeah. become it does. balder. Yeah, so but it if does. you do that as the makeup, yeah. it would look it a bit looks, weird. Well, that's so you could have painted darker yeah. to compensate for that. And it did look a bit. It was like a coconut. It was like a sort of big hairy coconut on his, on his yeah. knee. But it's not something many people have seen I don't outside think, no. of the equestrian no. world, is exactly. it? Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those, does that look real? Do people know whether it looks real or not? You've got to do it to the expectation as well as... Staying, yeah, through, you know, some but it was an interesting job. It was an interesting because of the different stages of the wound, you know, fresh, open wound, bit of blood. That's how I got the blood into eventually in Saving Private Ryan because Amanda Knight was on that film oh. and she said, What blood are you using? And I said, Screenface blood, I make this is one. Oh, right. And then she went and worked on Braveheart mm-hmm. with uh, Lois Burwell, mm-hmm. used Screenface blood on Braveheart. They had a few six gallons or whatever it was. And then, of course, Lois Burwell went on to do Private Ryan. So so it was all um, via Black Beauty, really, that, that my blood wound up on uh, Saving Private Ryan, I think, yeah. Um, and then when she did Last Samurai, she brought up this point about the insects, which I hadn't even thought about. I don't know how much trouble you had with insects, but... Uh, in in Ireland, not so much in Morocco. Okay, no, I'm not sure in Morocco. It yeah, was, this right. Was, this was, um, you know, in County Wicklow, I think, uh, the okay. right, yeah. So, yeah, not such a... Might get the odd gnat. Yeah, but yeah, apparently wasps are attacking people, and of course it's sugar; they love it. Yeah, and and I, can you make a blood? Can you do screen face blood, but put some something insect repellent in it? And I thought, well, well, I did always want to make sure it's safe in the mouth. That was almost my, you know, my main thing. Uh, just because of, if it's safe in the mouth, it's safe everywhere else. You know, I'm not going to stop having it laboratory tested. You know, we don't we don't want to be squirting in a rabbit's eye or anything. You know, no, no. so I test it on me. So I want to make sure it's safe in the mouth. So um, 
I was trying to look for, you know, uh, insect repellents that you could eat. So citronella was kind of, it's not toxic. You, you, so I tried it with citronella and it didn't really work. I just put a cup, two cups out in the summer and the wasps, one just had normal blood in, one had the citronella in it. It didn't seem to make a lot of difference. It didn't put them off. Right. Brewer's yeast apparently puts them off. But I think that has to be in your, I think you have to eat brewer's yeast right, and so it's in your system. And I've found that as I drink real ale, I, I don't get bitten very much by insects. Really? It's one of the upsides. So everyone has to drink ale. Absolutely. Real <laughs> ale. There's got to be yeast in live yeast in the product. But it's the blood, isn't it, that you're going to land on. So <laughs> yeah. It's a good excuse, though. <laughs> but they, yeah, they <laughs> do. So they don't. That keeps them, it does keep them at bay, bruise you. Uh, but anyway, I, I never found... Um, I didn't find a product I could add to the existing blood to make it insect unfriendly. But uh, obviously the, the answer is not to use sugar syrup. So, uh, so the silicon blood is now a sorbitol base. Right. But uh, so so sorbitols are great. I mean, I think Mark Shostrom had the, I don't know if it was his idea, but Mark Shostrom had a, wrote something about sorbitol blood somewhere. And it's good stuff. It is good. Uh, uh, it's it's another one of those products that's very expensive if you buy it repackaged. But you buy, you know, 55 gallon drum of it. So it's not too bad. But why was I mentioning it? I can't remember why I went, why I went back to. Oh, well, I was talking about Black Beauty, wasn't I? Yep. I don't know what I'm talking about, Black Beauty. Well, I think we were just... Uh, 355 is where... Oh, that's it. Up. Sorry, that's right. That was the last time I think I saw it. And the other thing I did on that job, which was interesting, because I... Because I'd mainly made prosthetics up to that point, you know, in my controlled environment here, and there I was on this set, and they said, can you just make that horse's hoof look like he's all been scuffed up? And I said, well, I haven't got any... Oh, I haven't made any pieces or anything, you know. I'm here to do his knees, right? Well, he needs to... This The hoof needs to look... You know, like he's damaged his hoof and it's chipped up. You know, and I think I had some reference pictures of the horses' hooves that have been chipped and scuffed and whatever. So I ended up um, getting some bark chips that were just lying around, because um, the the bark looked a bit like a messy, you know, roughed up hoof. So I and I glued that on with three three five five and uh, and tissue. I think I used some. To blend the bark onto the hoof, just some tissue, always like Jack Pierce, <laughs> you know, cotton yeah, and yeah. tissue and stuff. So I used tissues and, and three, three, I keep wanting to call it 335 because there's a guitar, a Gibson 335. So I 355, and um, it, it looked all right actually, I was surprised. And then I just, I think I just used Cryolan Rub Mask Breeze on top and whatever, but it looked all right. It was kind of for a quick job off the cuff, you know, yeah. which I don't do a lot of, and I haven't even, that was, I'm talking about back in the 90s. It was it's a nice fun thing to have a go at and it worked, it was alright. Everyone was happy with it. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty good out of the kit, you know, off the cuff, off the You hoop. never know when you're <laughs> gonna the need hoop. to do that stuff. Yeah. It's like learning CPR or something. It's like Yeah, oh yeah, good, worth knowing. Yeah. I remember is there a story that Stuart Freeborn used a banana leaf on an elephant's ear or something to turn it from an African elephant? I took heard from something Indian about to that. an African elephant. I heard that, yeah. Was it, I think he had to make some tusks out of cups or something. Like, yeah, that's just, it. Yeah, polished tusks. You, you, like, well, you yeah. know, just and you're literally yeah. like, okay, this yeah. is what we need. What are we actually going to see in the shot? Yeah, and then like you know, like 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 the Lego movie. You sort of look <laughs> at things and then they assemble themselves <laughs> in your mind, and you kind yeah. of go, "Oh, that's going to work." Yeah, that's fun. It's it's uh, it's exciting, isn't it? I suppose when you when you when you do something like that and it works. Yeah. Uh, it's creative. It's well, it's like playing, right? It's like being kids, isn't it? Playing with Play-Doh or yeah, just making stuff. It is. It is. <laughs> the added pressure of the deadline. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so I think I guess that uh, what is that covering? I do prosthetic makeup. I mean, I'm not probably as a because I'm not credited, largely not credited. No one would know. I, I mean, you know, the ni- some of the nicer projects I worked on was um, 
like Psychoville, you know, getting to do world transformation and things. Oh, wow. That was that was great fun. That was nearly CG, but Reese wanted practical effects. Okay. So they were going to go with the visual effects. I said, I, I can do this as a practical. Oh, that'd be great if you could. I hope you can't hear my stuff. Can hear mine. No. It's <laughs> lunch, isn't it? Um, but yeah, no, so it was great, great fun. But yeah, over the years, I've made loads of pieces. I've never even seen them in action. You know, I've never seen the final makeup. You'd always say, I'd send an appliance off to Omega Wise. Oh, send, you know, send me some photos. And they yeah, almost yeah. never did. I got a few, but not many. Just different, you know, TV shows and stuff like cardio, cardiac arrest, casualty, the bill, BBC's murder in mind. I did a, I did a, apply stuff on that, so I got some rubbish pictures myself. <laughs> uh, some, you know, throat cutty things and uh, a bit of, bit of blood and stuff. But not much. I've done loads of blood. I've done a fair few throat cuts. Some of for live stage throat cut, you know, mm-hmm. someone just got a syringe in um, and a few TV things in a film, but but not loads, not loads of gore. Com- considering the amount of blood I've made, I haven't mm. done a lot of gore stuff, and I've, I'm I'm happy there because I'm I mean my favourite stuff is like old age makeups and character yeah, makeup, yeah, those sort of nice things. I did a I did a TV show um, oh, years ago. I must have been about nineteen twenty. Called Beat the Cheat, which was a pilot for a TV series about not getting ripped off when you go on holiday. And um, I got to do uh, oh about half a dozen different makeups on the same actor, so that he cropped up throughout the show and you weren't supposed to recognise him. And then he was revealed at the end that the audience had been cheated by the thing. Okay, that was a nice job, but it's another one of those jobs where I did some you know okay makeup that I was quite happy with, but I didn't get any decent pictures of anyone. Mm. You know, I've got some dodgy pic, and I, I, it's one of those things where I never thought those pictures were really good enough to put in a portfolio. The makeups were okay, but the pictures themselves let it down, you know. Yeah, I've got sh- blurred pictures. Of that, but actually, the makeup was all right, but the picture's crap. I, I can't show that to people. No, I've had that. I've had that. And normally, again, like you say, when you hand it over to somebody else to do, because you know how much yeah. effort went into it, so you yeah. kind of, that drives you to yeah. to take a couple of good snaps. But, yeah, um, yeah sometimes you hope there's an onset. Don't. Sometimes you get, you know, the onset photographer will take some nice pictures and you get those, but... Yeah, not often they're, they're not. They're, no. they're, they're, they're onto something else. By the time yeah. they can release them, yeah, the year has gone by. Yeah. Is... But that was before packs. I'd never used packs. Um, I don't think, or oh, maybe I have actually. I'm just trying to think. I know the first time I used packs was on Comic Strip Presents on Phil Cornwell. Turkey oh, really? Wild Turkey. He was, um, it was a Christmas, I don't know, it was a Christmas special. But anyway, he was like Phil Cornwell in a big turkey suit with a beak and a prosthetic oh, face. It was, um, that was the first time I used packs, I think. That was good fun. Like latex stipple on a neck of somebody that's sweating a lot, you know, yeah, that yeah. can lift off. And I tried, uh, I mixed prose with it, I think. I think I mixed prose with the latex and did a stipple with prose, which I, I think it held on a little bit better. It was kind of like last, uh, you know, anything, last ditch effort. Yeah. <laughs> this stuff just sweating almost yeah. alcohol. Like yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It became uh, a bit tricky, but. Uh, it worked in the end, but that was yeah, it was a fun job. In, yeah, long time, a long, long time ago. But uh, yeah, mostly I would say over the years, up until about ten years ago, it was all a lot of making pieces and sending them out to people. Uh, makeup artists would call me up and ask me to make a piece. I'd send it off and they'd apply. And then just yeah, just more recently, just in more recent years, I've done a little bit more application stuff. Um, it's weird. I started doing application stuff like in the early days of the early 90s and then didn't do a lot for a while and then started doing that's a swung back around yeah and it's funny because it's gone from 
pre-packed paint foam latex when I would apply a foam latex makeup and use William Tuttle custom colour foundation. Yeah, the tub you know, in the little yeah, tub. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to mix it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. The oil on the top, otherwise. That's right. Um, and I, I did that Beat the Cheat show with six different characters with that. That was all coloured with that stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I, I started using packs fairly soon after that. But, but I'd, uh, I'd certainly done a few just with that. And then it's now it's now it's because it's all silicon now. Mainly, mm. if I'm applying stuff on a set, it's usually silicon, yeah, because the the foam latex things are mainly theatre, which I might do a makeup test. You know, just do one makeup test and see how the thing works, and then and then somebody else will apply it every day. You know, and that's what I like. Really, that's what I like doing. Mm. You know, you just do your makeup once, and that yeah, it looks all right, good stuff. Do I want to do this ever again? This particular one. <laughs> I don't, not really. Not Depends what you're in it for. I mean, if yeah, I mean, yeah. me, I like the the problem solving. And yes. Once you kind of nailed it and you've yeah. done it once or twice, we'll move on, eh? then it's just like repetition. Yeah. yeah. Thing. Which is cool. It's what I'm doing every day in my workshop here: churning out blood or noses or you know whatever foam run I'm doing. I do try it still to this day to try and change the way I do the foam a little bit. Yeah. Just to make it, can I make it a bit quicker? Can I? I mean, I've taken because I I buy stuff by the gallon. It's not a big deal to waste a bit, you know. Mm. So I can just do, I can do a full Campbell bowl, and if it all goes wrong, it's not a, not a problem. So um, I can try things out, and I, I mean, this job I'm doing right now, I'm doing black and white masks, as you can see, mm. and they're just uh, sort of fairly dense foam. There's nothing special about the foam, but uh, but I'm doing half and half, and why do a separate foam run for black and white? So I, I'm mixing up a bowl full of white, filling that one up, and then putting the bowl, putting the black in, whisking it, carrying on, you know, just. So timing. if you get your gelling time right, yeah, it should just be the, fine. Yeah, exactly. And it, but of course, in the old days, I was like, oh, I can't do that, it's going to gel. But uh, no, it's fine. It's um, And it, the whole idea of whisking it for too long with the gelling agent in is like, oh, it's going to gel with the whisk in the bar. You know. Down to the ammonia, though, isn't it? Yeah. Just accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Just tweak it. Yeah. So, but, uh, so yeah, I've, I mean, that's I haven't done that much. I don't know if I've ever done it before, really. You know, start with a bit of white foam and then, then add some black and... and Use the same batch all in one hit, you know. Amazing. It's good fun. I, I, I found that you could up the levels of pigment massively to do these Batman things, you know, because they wanted to be jet black. So the the le the amount of black colour, the amount of pigment that's in there is massive, you know. It's like mm -hmm. sixty or seventy grams of black in a you know in a in a Kemble bowl full of foam, which is a lot, you know. It's a lot of pigment. I, it, previously, I would have, you know, been worried about a few drops, you know. I remember when I first tried to make black foam years ago for something, I was using ink, some sort of printing ink or something, you know, because I wanted it to be really concentrated and just a few drops, you know, no more than a few grams. But now I'm just, I'm using the Jacobson's black pigment and, you know, I'm squirting 70 mil in there and it's it's fine. It, it, it Actually, it's got a nice, it's probably got propylene or ethylene glycol in it as a dispersant and it helps the foam disperse it helps the jelling agent disperse it's all good wow it's like a sort of it's like, it's almost like a bit of a you know flow enhancer uh, yeah I, I like old-fashioned music so I'm a, I'm a massive fan of like things that are written in the 20s and 30s mm -hmm. and Chet Atkins is my guitar hero I used to used to cover a lot of that sort of stuff he was probably doing that back in the 50s like so those tunes were like 30 years old then. But, um, but a song like, 
Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. Well, my pleasure. It's been brilliant. Thank you. It's been just like waffling on for a couple of hours. No, it's brilliant. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. One of the things that I loved listening in the, in part one is when he started talking about toothpaste. I know, the right? Secret ingredient. You know, you want to put a soap in there so that you can kind of lose that surface tension and add to some add some opacity to it. And it's it to be mouth safe. Yeah, mouth guess got to be mouth safe because you know you're not supposed to swallow toothpaste, but it's okay if you swallow a little bit. And I was thinking to myself as I'm listening to it, holy crap, that's Brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. And that, the funny thing is, is that that's gonna you, we're gonna be no. making our own blood for for the production of. I told you about Bonnie and Clyde that I'm that I'm I'm working on for a, the musical. They did a there's a musical of Bonnie and Clyde. Amazing. And there's a lot of blood, understandably. And I'm gonna be putting toothpaste in my blood. That'll be minty fresh. Hmm. Well, that, that minty smell, because I said to him about it, I remember that so well, because we use gallons and gallons of that screen face blood for on Saving Private Ryan. And there's scenes where you see the beach, and the beach is just red. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. On his red. That's all the blood that's smashed in there. And we made loads of, like, I, I, I remember the, I only did a week on set in Ireland for it, and I flew out to, I think it was Belfast. And then we drove to Dublin, which is madness. And there wasn't a motorway wow. there then. So it was a five-hour drive, roughly. <laughs> And, Why um, the hell didn't you just fly to fly to Dublin? I've no idea. I've no idea. It was a long drive. And yeah, we, we 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 got to Wexford, which is where we were filming, and then it turns out we were working nights, and not only were we working nights, we were working that night. So as soon as I go to the hotel, drop the stuff off, and there's a you know a little note on the desk from Rob saying, "Yeah, yeah, come down to the beach." So we we had the car the car took us down to the beach, and our job basically was in the day they would think of things they wanted to do the following day. So we would have to rig and make up the guts, the blood and the body bits for that shot. And when you see like the landing craft blowing up and just shit going everywhere, uh, that's, that's what we did on that for that day. And then we, we worked every day, um, for five nights, every night, sorry, for five nights in a row. And on the last day, cold and wet, cold and wet. But on the last day, we said we should stay up and watch the filming because we were only there in the evenings when the filming had stopped. And, you know, we decided we should probably stay uh, uh, on the beach and just watch it being filmed. And I'm so glad we did because we got to watch, you know, a lot of that stuff going off. And it was amazing. The explosions and the guy going, you know, the the guy that gets uh, engulfed in flame with his flamethrower. That was the day we were there. And seeing the NG42 spraying, you know, blank rounds everywhere. It's just incredible. And then when you see the final thing, it's just like, holy shit. I mean, you kind of saw it being filmed, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. It's still. But just, it's nothing nothing like what you see on the screen. Yeah. Even though you know how it's done, the trick still works. It's <laughs> Knowing how to do it doesn't stop it being effective. It was quite amazing. So. Cool. That, that sounds incredible. awesome. Yeah. I'll never forget that. That would, be a, that would be a film I'd love to see a lot of making of. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, I, I, we didn't do a lot of it. It's weird. I, I mean, when I look back at like something like Steve Johnson's got like video footage of, you know, all these like the Slimer and stuff. And I'm so glad he did because it's really nice to have, you know, footage of these things that making of crews weren't particularly interested in. I mean, now there is such a thing as making of crew and EPK and behind the scenes stuff because it's, you know, it's more grist in the mill for them. But more often than not, they're not there long enough or early enough to see the really cool shit. So, you know, it doesn't really get seen. And the stuff that does get done, we probably have to sign non-disclosure agreements to prevent us from showing them. So it's quite nice when, you know, people make documentaries about stuff because I like to see that myself. Yeah, me too. 
techie gearheads were it's the nerd mentality. We like that stuff. We do. What happens? Oh, with the thing. And then the other stuff. Have I fucked it into a cocked hat again? What? <laughs> fucked it into a cocked hat. It's an expression my friend Stewie Conrad uses. It's a brilliant expression. I like it. Fucked it like when someone falls hat. over and the hat goes all squiffy. You fucked it into a cocked hat. But some people just hear the squiffy. word cocked and then it's just all over. And then they, they had something that didn't actually happen. I like the word squiffy. Squiffy. Squiffy's good. <laughs> it's like queef. <laughs> He just squiffed. But they're so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So send us a message and let us know which team you want to win, Stuart or Todd. Oh, no, we're on, we're on the same team. We it, it can't do that. I was going to uh, say, do, write, competing, write to but... us and, and let us let us know what you want to hear more about, more of, less of. We love to hear to hear from you at Stuart and Todd at gmail.com. And check out our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. It's not called Battles of Bits of Rubber, weirdly. It's called Stuart and Todd. But if you just look up yeah. Battles of Bits of Rubber on Facebook, you'll find us. And you can It'll uh, come like up. that page. That'll be nice. And if you have iTunes, you can scri- subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. We like reviews. Reviews are very good for podcasts. It makes them more real somehow to the uh, to the vision of iTunes because then they know that people are really listening. So that'd be nice if you could give a review for us. That'd be splendid. Give good, honest, nice reviews because we are sensitive artists after all. That's right. Very sensitive. We drink tea. Well, I do. I do too. Oh, jolly good. I'm just jolly good. Mustard. I'm just not Must- drinking any right now. It's too early in the day for me. You're drinking mustard? I love mustard. Mustard, it's an it's a English expression, isn't it? It's just being like, brilliant. Mustard. I've heard if something's not very good, then you'd say it doesn't cut the mustard. Doesn't cut the mustard. So but I've not heard of mustard. The only person I've ever heard call something mustard is you but i like it, it sounds it's you're yeah, right it does I've, sound I've, like a i have i have heard it from from other actual brits but i suppose it's not not as not a common you know, I mean, how, how often do you hear somebody say ripping ripping it out. was yeah. ripping good times <laughs> not since i escaped from that enid blighton novel <laughs> had to swim through lashings of ginger beer you're oiling yourself up <laughs> i don't I think we're reading the same enid blighton books Five no. Go Swinging. I didn't see, I didn't read that one. Five Go Swinging mm-hmm. conjures up something completely. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, so listen, um, there's, there's been a TV show over here that was quite good. It's a three part show and it was called Ten Rillington Place and it was based on the, the, the Christie murders in the late forties and fifties. Then if you, uh, heard of it, it was a big thing over here. And, uh, basically this guy called Christie, he was, uh, a really nasty, creepy dude, and he had this uh, couple of rooms in a house, and uh, uh, basically he he killed lots of people. He 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 posed as a kind of a, a doctor, and he did all these horrible backstreet abortion type things. Was he just he, cross with them? Uh, no, he was just fucking weird. He was just nut job, mental psycho, and then he, uh, yeah, he he would drug them, uh, and then and then. Um, uh, strangle them anyway there was a there was a tv drama three-part drama that the bbc did and it was really really creepy really really well done and tim roth played christy and, and samantha morton played his wife and it was 
really really atmospheric very very creepy it's very very good show really nice makeup as well so i think i don't know it's split or anything uh i don't know if it, it it might be but it's only just come out on the bbc so it will probably be okay. available soon i guess you guys have like a bbc channel well yeah. we get a lot of bbc shows on pbs over here okay um you know stuff that 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 i i kind of get turned on um when I'd, I'd go home to visit my folks and they'd, they'd be watching these shows. They, they love D- shows like DCI Banks and, uh, River. Have you seen a show called River? Some, some of the, some of the, Brit- some of the British cop shows. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's one called River that was very good. There's another called Happy Valley, which it's not a jolly tale at all, but it's very well acted. Very good. Right. Um, yeah, it's been some very good BBC dramas. They seem to have upped their game. There was like a period where the BBC weren't really doing great dramas. It was just a lot of, I don't know. Not reality TV shows. It didn't go too crazy for it, but it's just, there wasn't a lot going on. There was a lot of repeats and stuff, but it seems in the last couple of years, they sort of started paying writers again. It's quite nice. Well, I, I love the BBC. Yeah, it's what, what we get over here. And in return, I listen to a lot of NPR podcasts, so it's all swinging around. It's lovely. There you go. In fact, Daytime. if you are listening to podcasts, and you should be, because if you're hearing this, you, you kind of do, recommend checking out. There's an NPR podcast called How I Built This. And it's fucking brilliant. It's really, really good. And it's, it's, it's a short, it's only about half an hour long, but they are, uh, basically, uh, the, the presenter guy, Raz, talks to, um, people who started movements and he speaks to, like, the lady that started Dermalogica and the lady that started Spanx, the guy that started the Cliff Bar. Um, just all kinds of odd Me. things, but they're really, really, really interesting half hour programs. I mean, the Spanx one, I think, is the first one. Now, I don't wear Spanx. Maybe I should, but, <laughs> you just listen to it and it's it's just it's fascinating how she came up with the thing because it because she started she made the prototypes of this this underwear i don't know if you're aware of what spanx is but it's basically like it's a lie in the form of underwear is what it is you, you put it on it makes you slimmer it's like you know tucks everything in and um so she made these like prototypes and she was trying to sell them you know trying to get like you know manufacturers to produce them and she was having a hard time selling them because all the producers and manufacturers and stuff she was talking to were, were run by guys and guys don't have you know the same kind of problems with them they don't think the same way and this guy was like she spoke to this chap and he wasn't interested and then over dinner he mentioned it to his daughters and they were like dad you should totally do that it's a fucking brilliant idea and so based on that he then went back to her and said yeah we'll start producing them and then that's kind of how it all kind of started and then she had to kind of like she made like these stands that she would set up in shops without telling the shop that they were there kind of thing and <laughs> just because yeah. someone saw it there and they thought Someone had sanctioned it, so they allowed it, and that's how she started getting <laughs> that's in the great. shops. It's brilliant stuff, and then just the, and the moral of the story is: listen to your children. Yeah, absolutely, because <laughs> they're probably right. Because you know you were right when you were a kid. Oh yeah, so, well, you know, when you're grown up, you're mistaken. You often think you're right, but you're not. But it's a really good podcast. I recommend it. It's fantastic. So listen to that. It's all how I built this. It's very good. <laughs> got nothing to do with prosthetics but it's really really cool sounds right up my alley right in my it's my bailiwick it's right right in my wheelhouse i think i'll listen my wheel that's a good expression it never gets old to me and you know i hope it never does um to see people's reactions meeting me because of my book Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's it's just it's just blows my mind at times you know it's like wow you know it's not why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I'm passionate about this stuff and I want, you know, I, I teach because I get off on seeing people get excited about stuff that excites me. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think it's the, the same. Fact that anybody's actually learning anything from me is is icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. You know, I love to share what I do because I love it so much, and to see other people get excited about it, that's cool. And the reactions that I that I see and hear from people because of the book, just I I, I can't even express how wonderful that makes me feel. That's really sweet. I mean, that, that's true. I mean, I think, I think the other thing is as well. We've all we've all had teachers in school, especially. That's not the first place you kind of come across this kind of thing, where you meet people that just don't want to be there. They're just doing it because it pays the bills, and it kind of comes across. And they're not very nice people usually because they're not happy whether they are. And you spend hours in the classroom with them, and they're just miserable, and they'd rather be anywhere else. And then when you meet, you know, a teacher that you know, the thing they care about matters to them so much that even if you weren't interested in the subject, it just kind of fires something in you. So, you know, to be, to when you do meet people that give a shit about it and you make a connection, then you're just two people working on a subject. It's really nice. It's a really nice thing. And it doesn't happen often. So I think that's another reason why it's quite special. Yeah. Hopefully IMATS will be a chance to sort of meet some more people that, you know, I've, I've met online only and we've met through Facebook or mm-hmm. you know, chatted about stuff and solve problems and maybe, you know, cross paths on Neil Gorton's 911. Um, oh, I think it absolutely will nice. be. And it'd be weird when people say, oh, hi, I'm Sam. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. You know, you're familiar with the name, but I couldn't, have, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I am certain that there will be, be many of those moments. Awesome. And it's one of the cool things, too, you know, with, with social media being what it is now and walking around the floor, you're seeing – Academy Award winners and Emmy winners and BAFTA, BAFTA winners and all of these people on the floor and they're all on social media. And if you, you want to learn how to do something or if you have a question about something, there they are. All you got to do is ask. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. That's the, the wealth of, it, the wealth of information. One of the things that, that is a, is a head shaker for me because of, some of the things, and, and certainly I, I don't want this to sound like I'm, I'm saying, saying anything negative about IMATS, but you know, you've got all of these, these stands selling, selling makeup brushes and, and makeup, you know, makeup forever and, um, all these, all these different companies and they're having special show specials on and there's not just industry professionals there. There are regular consumers coming in to, to see all the new stuff at the, being debuted at the trade show and there are all these specials and it blows my mind because you'll have an academy award-winning makeup artist doing a demo within touching distance of people standing in line to get five percent off a new mascara brush and they haven't got a clue of what's going on around them yeah when worlds collide it's quite funny isn't it yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just just makes me makes me smile that they have no clue that there are all these astonishing artists right there that they could be talking to and asking questions of and all they're interested in is saving a few quid on on some some supplies so do the new zipper face for less money than before <laughs> yeah um what's it the, it always used to amaze me just the thought that like Dick Smith would go to the store and you know get grocery shopping and he'd be served by somebody that that would have no idea that you know 
he did the Linda Blair makeup in The Exorcist. <laughs> I yeah. just think that's really, and I guess that happens with every industry. You know, there'll be heroes within every industry. That, yeah, pull up know. at a Shell station, and there, there's there's Rick Baker putting gas in the truck. Yeah. <laughs> it's just brilliant. But you could have that, you know, oh, there's the guy that invented Teflon, you know, getting bread or whatever. It's just like, I guess, you know, you you can't know everybody's heroes. But, uh, yeah, these are weird things. Yeah, nope. People pay, you know, and queue up to see these people. I know I did. And yet, outside of that sphere, they're not known because they're not actors. They're not on the screen being famous for millions of people. But I guess that kind of makes it all Well, it's funny, too. Even, even – <laughs> Well, just even seeing somebody, somebody that you know outside the general context that where you know them, you know, seeing somebody that you work with in theater and then running into them, you know, dropping off stuff at Goodwill. You know, I know, I, I know that face. And they go, Oh, yeah, just because I, I only work with you every day. <laughs> you know, you see somebody outside their, the regular context and it, it's like putting a false nose on them. Yeah. I know it can't, can't be just me that, 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 that happens to. No, no, that's pretty cool. Maybe it is. <laughs> so I think that wraps it up for this one. Um, just to say again, you know, check out our Facebook page, please subscribe to us on please. iTunes, please. And uh, if you've got the time, seriously, if you've enjoyed this and it's been useful to you and you think it's worth it, then please leave a good review on the, for us on iTunes. That would be amazing. I don't know if other podcast aggregators, <coughs> for that's what they are, podcast aggregators, um, uh, like Google Play Music and SoundCloud. And like, I think you can leave reviews on there too. But um, we're Well, we're on iHeartRadio too, aren't we? We are on iHeartRadio, absolutely. We're not on Spotify yet. But again, a lot of that's not down to you. That's just down to, you know, algorithms and downloads and things like that. But I think if iTunes get podcast reviews, then it tells them that there is an engaged audience. And then the more reviews they get, the kind of the, the closer it bumps us up the ranks. And it just means we get closer to maybe one day being on the hallowed uh, opening page, you know, where... You would be, but that, that, that's, that's not, um, that's not likely in a very niche podcast like this, but it's just, I'm just saying if there are, if, it helps us because if I'm looking at a podcast, I know I look at the reviews and if there's lots of reviews, then it's kind of tips the scales in our favor. And, uh, if you've got two minutes, that'd be amazing. And tell your friends, please, in a world, in a world. I told you my Don LaFontaine stories, didn't I? No, you didn't. When I was, when I was working at 20th Century Fox and, uh, 1990, 91, I was manager of on-air promotions for 20th Century Fox Television and working on a show called Personalities, which was sort of a precursor, kind of a cross between Entertainment Tonight and Hard Copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Don LaFontaine used to do all of my, all of my voiceover stuff. Oh my God. For the, for the show. So he'd, he'd come in and he'd read all the scripts and I'd hand him this and he'd go in and look over and go, God damn it, Deborah Sini, who wrote this shit? And then he would just bang it out. You know, amazing. In the world, in, in that amazing voice. I'll have to dig some of it out and play it for you sometime. But Don, Don was great. I really enjoyed working with him a lot. I mean, hearing it through speakers is one thing, but to hear it in your face is is really spectacular really was spectacular Amazing. he and he was a, such a nice guy
Well, that wraps it up for another one, eh? Yes, sir, that does. So the next one we got... Another uh, Rob. It's, it's another Rob. It's Rob Freitas. But again, this this is another two-parter coming up because it was just such an intense... Couldn't... It was. It got to the point where there, there was halfway through this, I, I really needed a pee and I couldn't go because I just didn't want to stop talking. It was that kind of thing. I've just admitted that online. But there we go. Um, but that was the thing. Uh, he, so, so the fact I couldn't he's even a, go for a pee... He's a walking was, encyclopedia, man. Oh, my God. And such a nice dude as well. Yeah. We got him for like two and a half hours. We sat down with him. So I couldn't, I could not put that into one podcast because it was just too much. So the next one coming up is going to be, uh, yeah, part one with, with Rob Freitas. So I'm excited about that. And hopefully I'll see him again when I go to LA as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I hopefully get that out there before I go to see him again. But, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. This one you won't want to miss. All right, Todd. Well, I guess I'll speak to you soon. Take care, fella. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. <laughs> you too. Take care, mate. Bye bye. Bye.